This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from them and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them. And then he went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus the Christ. Amen. Seven weeks, six chapters of Galatians. Basically what we're doing is we're reading another church's mail. We're on the fifth page of a six-page letter, flipping the pages. Easy to read all in one setting. I hope you'll do that. There's so much that we don't cover with the little pieces we read in worship. But Paul, Paul background-wise now, started a bunch of churches in Galatia, an area of central Turkey now. And he started those churches just by telling them about the, the love of God in Jesus Christ. Extravagant, radical, relentless love of God in Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection of Christ. And people responded to that miraculous news by living like Jesus, wanting to live like Jesus. And they called that the way. Uh, when Paul left the Galatian churches, they were, they were growing and they, they were happy and they were thriving on the way. And then he gets word a few years later that everything's starting to fall apart, that a conflict has arisen between them. And This is the conflict, that there is a group from Jerusalem led by Peter and James, the brother of Christ, who are insisting that anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus, a Christ follower, has to observe all of the rituals and all of the law of Judaism. One letter he calls them Judaizers, but in this letter he calls them the circumcision faction. And when Paul realizes that there are friends who are being circumcised so that they can be loved by Christ... He literally loses it, blows a holy gasket, fires off this six-page letter. The first chapter, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, as if there actually is any other gospel. The third chapter, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's an interesting choice of words. Fourth chapter, I fear for you. 
that somehow I've wasted my time with you. And elsewhere in this fifth chapter, he says, you know, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who's keeping you from obeying the truth of Christ? So, so Paul, he's fired up. He's, he's having a knee-jerk reaction to what we now know to be one of two extreme religious positions. Uh, both of these positions are found in Christianity and in the church today and are the source of most of our conflicts. Each of them is critical of the other, thinks that the other is wrong and they're right. Neither one of them is biblically correct, and both of them are devastating to the purpose and the mission of the church. On the extreme right, the nail that Paul has been hammering thus far is legalism. Jim Peterson wrote a good book in 1989. It's called Living Proof. And the idea of the book was to take apart this word, what does it mean to be saved? And to be honest, Lutherans didn't use that language for many, many, many years. It's an evangelical word, saved. And he spent one whole chapter saying, what does it mean to be saved? What does that meant in American history? In just two centuries, what does it mean in America? And so I just, I just pulled some of them out. For Puritans, they thought that colored fabric was evil. And to be saved meant that you would only wear black and white. Those were the only two colors because everything else was too sensual. They're called hard shell Baptists. That's another group. They thought that music was wonderful, but instruments were the work of the devil. So you sang, but you were not allowed to have any musical accompaniment in your church. A century ago, and in my first congregation, there were people who still wished it was this way. German Lutherans thought that married men needed to sit on one side of the church and married women and children sat on the other side and all you poor unmarried people, you sit up in the balcony. A lot of branches of the church tree drink alcohol and a lot of branches don't. Once Amish men get married, they have to quit shaving because the unshaven face is just so sensual. When I was a child, I remember the conflict well. I'm so thankful to Olin A. Peters. The Beatles were coming on Ed Sullivan. It was a big conflict. We were not allowed to watch the Beatles because that long hair, way too sensual. We showed up what was called Luther League, and Olin Peters brought a television, and we watched the Beatles together. <laughs> now, that list it changes all the time, right? It's always changing, but it's always a list. And I have intentionally chosen the non-controversial subjects. Not to drag you too deep into which side of this question you are on. And there's something really comforting about reducing faith to a list. It's easy. A list of do's and don'ts. Um, you always know where you stand. You got the list. Um, you're in control. You don't really have to make any hard choices. You know what the list is. You just do what the list says. It doesn't require messy things like prayer or discernment or reason or living in community with others who might have a different opinion. In fact, you don't even really need God. All you really need is the list. And by the way, I just want to say, those are the easiest sermons in the world to preach. List sermons. Three things you need to do for a happy life. Four things you need to do for a Christian marriage. Five things you need to do to please God. Something very comfortable and easy about legalism. If, and, and, and the truth is, you can do it. You can work the list. You can work the list for a while. And it can make you feel secure and saved, kind of, for a while. But then you discover that there's another list 
or that you're not always able to do the list, or you don't want to do the list, and you're not free, and there's no peace in the list. Which is why Paul is so upset in this letter. Paul, he's been there, done that. He, he knew firsthand that following the rules cannot bring you freedom. He tried it. He was a zealot for the law, lived the law, and it resulted in him being such a, a stickler for the rules that he ended up persecuting anybody who didn't follow the rules. Rather than great love for God and great love for neighbor, all you end up with is a clipboard of things that you ought to do or not do most of which end up being on the wrong side of history. And Paul knew that that is just not Jesus. That's not why Jesus died. It's not why Jesus rose from the dead so that we could all follow a list. And that's where we've been thus far in the first four and a half chapters of Galatians. And Paul doesn't mince many words. I hope I haven't. The law cannot save you. The law cannot free you. The law can't give you an ounce of peace. But today... As you heard, Paul flips the coin, goes the other way, takes on the other extreme, which is just as critical, just as biblically incorrect, just as devastating. And the word for that is license. We heard it in that lesson, it's a little different, licentiousness. License is this, I'm free in Christ, so... I can just do anything that I want to do. And there are a whole lot of people in and out of the church who believe that freedom means license to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. And sometimes you put the word we in there, but it's almost always I. Because I'm already forgiven, which, by the way, is not about something I've done. That's what God did. Because I can't send my way into or out of the kingdom of God. Since God has and God will forgive me my sin, and since I'm saved by grace alone, and everything I just said is true, since all of that is true, license just adds, well, I can just do anything I want. Licentiousness means disregard for the rules. It's that sense that my feelings and what I want are more important than what God or my neighbor wants. There's no sense of God's sovereignty, that word we used in the prayer of the day today. There's no sense that there actually is a God in charge of everything. It's about what makes me feel good, what I want to do. There is a God, but the God is actually me or us. And that's what Paul is addressing in the fifth chapter. He's hammered legalism as well he should. People are getting hurt. They're beating each other up. The gospel is being co-opted. They're drifting from the freeing power of Christ. So he reminds them for freedom. Christ has set us free, but it's not anything goes. And he's not the least bit bashful, as you just heard, naming sins. Wrote a whole list of them today, lumped them all together in something we hardly understand, works of the flesh. And frankly, Jesus wasn't that bashful about naming sins either. Let the dead bury their own dead. Once you put your hand to the plow, quit looking back, go forward. Paul says, you're called to be free. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, is the word he uses. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus. And that means something. You're living in the image of Jesus. You're called to serve one another in love. The early church had a label uh, 
for total freedom, no law. And they actually, they labeled it as a heresy. Uh, the label, a uh, big long name, is antinomianism. Uh, antinomian is a person who doesn't even think the law exists, that there is no order of creation, that you don't have to consider the love of God. You don't have to think about the love of neighbor. An antinomian is a selfish person and said bluntly, we live in a culture of antinomians. Thomas Huxley once said, and we are living, a man's worst difficulties begin when he's able to do whatever he wants. There's something in between legalism and license. And what it's called is liberty. A lot of people don't get this. Liberty does not mean the absence of law. The Constitution of the United States promises its citizens liberty, but doesn't give us freedom to just break laws. If every person does only what they want to do, that's, that's a recipe for anarchy. That's a recipe for abuse of the poor. It's a recipe for the strong over the weak. There has to be a principle. It has to be a guiding principle, a magna carta. And that's what Paul's trying to describe for them in the fifth chapter of Galatians. For Christians, he says, the magna carta is the spirit of Jesus. Jesus, the image of Jesus, his spirit. And Paul gives this fantastic vision of what this would look like, what it might look like if we tried to live our lives not off a clipboard and not doing everything we want, but in the vision of Jesus. And he calls it the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the living spirit of Jesus. We just heard them love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. They made me memorize those when I was in confirmation class. They thought if I knew the list, I might try to do them. It wasn't that simple. You have to think about those things. You have to pray about those things. You have to discern them. They're actually very messy things. They're not simple. They're not black and white. You have to live them out in every context, in every generation, in every situation. Paul adds, though, against these things, there is no law. These things, there's no law. Paul wants his friends, in his former churches to see a better way. He's trying to steer them through one of the church's most difficult controversies, and one which, frankly, we find ourselves in again and again and again. On one extreme is legalism. On the other extreme is license. And what we're called to is neither one of those. We're called to Christian liberty, liberty in the image of Jesus. Pretty heady stuff today. Uh, those of you who know me, I don't even like to use big words like antinomianism. I have to look them up. Uh, so I thought maybe I'd just close with a little more sappy kind of story. Uh, if you saw the movie Lincoln, some of you, it, it, it's a powerful movie. We're coming to a holiday weekend. Go down to Redbox, watch it again. It's powerful. Uh, very similar to the opening of the movie, uh, a story is told that a civil war, a former slave makes his way to Washington to see President Lincoln. He has managed to scrimp and to save uh, a silver dollar because all, all of his enslavement he has dreamed and visioned a day when he would be able to buy his freedom. And now the civil war has changed that. He's a free man and he's able to get himself to Washington, D.C., and President Lincoln receives him, and he wants to give him this silver dollar to pay for his freedom. But Lincoln can't take it, of course, can't take it. But the former slave is insistent, and he, and he wants to buy the freedom. Finally, Lincoln takes him over to the window and points to a cemetery of white crosses across the river. It's now Arlington Cemetery, and tells him that you are never going to be able to pay for your freedom.
Because somebody else has already paid for it. The only thing that you really need to do now is you need to walk and live like a free man with virtue and love and honor. Now, I tell that because I think that's us when we gather beneath the cross of Jesus. It's an image, a freedom that, that, that we can't create on our own. Freedom for which Christ has set us free. And that's what Paul says in his letter, very bluntly now. For freedom, Christ has set us free. But stand firm. Don't let yourself be burdened by the yoke of slavery or by self-indulgence. Amen.